This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. I am super excited to have my first episode of 2022 be with the incredible Julie Barkus. She is an award-winning business owner, internationally known speaker, coach, and best-selling author. And what's really fascinating is we look at a different type of detox. For more than 20 years, Julie has been helping leaders across the globe experience a workplace detox so that they can have more harmonious workplaces. And there's all kinds of ways we can also detox on an individual level. And so we have an incredible conversation and just wait until you hear how she talks about roses and rose bushes and how that relates to detox and what we can all do to really thrive, not just in the new year, but beyond. I think you're going to get a ton out of this conversation. We are kicking off the new year. So this is the first episode of 2022. And with the new year, people are always thinking about fresh start and what do they want to start doing, stop doing. So this is just such a perfect conversation to be having. So I want to dive right in and ask you, how important is it for people to have a vision for where they want to go or to have that purpose to guide them? To me, having the vision is like life and death, <laughs> right? Because if you want to breathe life into your life, feel more energized, feel more enthusiastic, vision is really where it comes back to. And if you take somebody who's feeling down and under or depressed or sad or an organization isn't thriving, typically you go and look at the vision and go, oh, okay, the vision within you or within your organization isn't alive. So to me, it makes a huge difference. And I've seen it personally in my own life. Even when I'm feeling like I'm not doing what I want to do, I'm like, well, where's your vision, Julie? Now's the time for a good check. We use the analogy of a lighthouse that on the organizational individual level, you know, having that clarity of purpose is like that lighthouse that it anchors, right? It cuts through the fog. It tells us where to go. To, so to your point, we all get stuck. We all have down moments. We all even as organizations can get off course, but it's what gets us back on course and what breathes life or energy of, Ooh, there is a path forward or these waters might be stormy, but Ooh, I can see a path ahead. Absolutely. And I've had to redefine it several times for myself in my life too. When I was feeling like I was working in corporate, working for a boss, balancing budget numbers till midnight, it was like, what do I need more of in my life? And it was like, Oh, you got to create a vision for why you're doing what you're doing. And then in 2012, I had a very personal experience happen where I lost my husband instantly and suddenly he passed away. And the thing that really pulled me back to a better spot in my life and to feel like living again was developing and cultivating a vision. And I love the analogy of a lighthouse because that's exactly what it was for me at the time was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to move forward towards. This is what I'm going to strive towards. This is going to give my life purpose and meaning again. I didn't, didn't know that about your husband. So I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. What came up for me as you said that is, isn't it ironic that so many times, whether we lose a loved one or someone we know loses a loved one, and heaven knows throughout this pandemic, many, many people have lost loved ones, that there's moments, and I would say a week or a month or a day of, oh, it really brings you back to what's important, right? And people will have that sense of, 
reprioritizing or regrounding themselves, but then that so quickly falls to the wayside again. And we fall back into habits. We fall back into the day-to-day and not really being anchored on, but who am I, right? What is my why? What is my purpose? So it takes intentionality to, to go there. And sometimes even going through a tragedy only resets us for a short period. It doesn't doesn't necessarily stick. So I'm curious, what do you think blocks or impairs us on as an individual level, but also as an organization of bringing that vision or that why to life? One of the biggest things that comes to my mind is that we feel the need to get approval from other people or for other people to like us. That's a big one as well. So there's a lot of neediness that can come into the picture of our life and us feeling good about who we are or even what we're doing as an organization. A lot of us get stuck with thinking about, well, who's going to like me if, or who's not going to like me if, or who's going to approve of this? So instead of just being true to ourselves and really following like, oh, this is this is my desire and this is what I want, how do I bring that to life? So where we get stuck, I'll sum it up in this, and I'm sure that you've got something to say about this also, <laughs> is we get stuck in judgment thoughts and mostly our own judgment thoughts about what we want to do and what we desire. And if we can remove that and just say, oh man, I feel this force inside of me and this is what I really want to bring to life a whole power erupts from inside of us and we can make the impossible happen in a short period of time. I, mean, I could say a lot. I'm not going to take over, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. I mean, that, that, that's my jam right there. But what came to mind as you're saying is, you know, we're not for everyone. Like as a company, your company's not for everyone, right? Your product, your service is not for everyone. So it's finding the right people. And when we get clear about our purpose and who we are, then people want to be attached that they believe in your purpose. And then therefore they believe in your product, your service, whatever that is. And as an individual, we're not for everyone and that's okay. And so one of the things that Brene Brown always talks about is, you know, we spend so much time hustling for our worth to get likes or approval from the people who are in the cheap seats of the audience. And we end up doing it at the expense of the people who are the closest to us who matter most. And so you think about it, like, are you running out there as an organization trying to be all things to all people, which then dilutes your brand? Are, as an individual, are you trying to be all things to all people? Or, oh my gosh, I didn't get that like, or someone made a dislike that comment or whatever you're you're using. And when we look outside ourselves for our value and hustle for our worth to prove our value versus knowing our value. And if you're trying to do everything for everybody else, you don't stand out as a unique, wonderful, powerful individual that you are. And even when we're working with clients who are looking to hire people or to attract staff, that's one of the mistakes that they make is they're trying to attract everybody. Kind of like with sales, you try to pull everybody in because you don't want to exclude anybody. But until you get clear on who you are and and what you're going to stand for, that's when you attract the most amazing people to you, clients, business, opportunities, whatever it might be. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. I think back when I worked for a consulting firm right now versus having my own company. And when we worked for the firm, there was times we were at the mercy of whatever the salespeople, the clients they brought in. And sometimes it was a square peg in a round hole. And there was a lot of frustration in trying to work with some of the clients. And I just feel so lucky now. I I get questions from, you know, we train a whole community of, of people. And one of the questions we get a lot is, well, what do you do when you have this client or this client? And I'm like, well, I guess I'm really fortunate because 
those types of clients that actually don't really care about their people that don't get the importance of culture aren't our customers. And it doesn't mean that we don't have customers that have dysfunction, have issues. It's that they recognize this stuff matters and they need help to do it. That's fundamentally different than someone who truly is an organization that has leaders that really do not care about their people that are just numbers focused. Those aren't going to be our customers. And you know what? That's totally okay. And what a gift you give your customers when you make that realization and you rule people out, right? Because that just helps you show up in a greater capacity to serve the clients that you do serve by knowing you're our people, you're not our people. Yeah, exactly. Well, and even it makes me think like when people call up for leadership development and they think the, oh, just come and do a, you know, a workshop here or a lunch and learn or just do this. I'm like, if you're hiring me for a keynote, like, let's be clear, the scope is you want to give people some nuggets, you want to inspire them, you want to plant a seed. Great. If you actually want to develop your people, that's an entirely different strategy. And coming in and doing a one-time workshop, let's be really realistic about there's no sustainability there. So what is your goal? And so again, I go back to if you have that purpose as an organization, how often are there 50 million priorities rather than very clear strategies of this is who we are, and therefore we can then align the people the strategies that are going to best get us there versus trying to do everything. And it's a big mess. Totally, totally a mess. Fantastic points there that were made. So speaking of then getting rid of a mess, that that <laughs> leads into, right? You like my little transition there? I love it. But that leads into, so you think about after the first of the year. So again, it's not just getting clarity of who we want to be, but this is also where people, I am not a New Year's resolution fan. I think that they're quite frankly, pointless. Let's be intentional about how we show up every day, not you know for three weeks out of the year and then it, we forget it. But another thing that happens a lot at the start of the year is uh, detox in many different shapes or form, right? And you talk about a different type of, of detox on both the individual level, the team level, and the organizational level. So can you please talk about what you mean by people needing to detox and organizations needing to detox? I think about this probably similar to something else like consistently detox, which is sugar, <laughs> right? It's sugar detox. And it's going to be that time, January 1st, where a lot of people are going to be thinking about that. But to me, I'm always intrigued in organizations, especially right now, who are struggling hiring people, struggling retaining talent, struggling just in that whole staff capacity. But I'm fascinated by they bring somebody on, they finally get somebody in place. And then a, a day later, a week later, or a month later, the person is unmotivated. And for over 20 years, leaders have been calling me saying, Julie, what else do I need to do? What else do I need to do? And I thought about that question a lot. And throughout my working with different teams, various sizes for so long, I really come to the conclusion that it's not necessarily about what else you need to do. It's what do you need to stop doing? What do you need to stop doing that's going to have a greater impact on your team? So when we look at a new staff member who comes on board and they're so excited to start with you, then it's like the curtain pulls back and they're exposed to your work environment, not necessarily what you sold during the interview, but they look at your work environment, they feel something, and then they get overwhelmed and they turn over, they leave. And that can break a leader's heart because then a leader is left saying, what did I do? What happened? Why didn't they like it here? And they start calling the person obsessively or trying to figure it out. But if we could start looking at our workplaces, at our culture, 
and asking ourselves the question, what is it that demotivates our staff once they walk in through that door? When they first start, they're excited. They're like, enthusiasm is a level 10. And then they get in here and it's like, okay, now they feel like a five. What is it that's depleting that motivation, draining that excitement, causing the overwhelm? And can we eliminate those things? And that's what we want to look at when it comes to a detox. It reminds me of, you know, so many organizations do exit interviews and then, you know, they many times don't do anything with the data, but it's like, okay, if you are waiting until people leave your organization, which they may or may not give you accurate data or reasons why anyway, I know, I think it was Adam Grant years ago talking about why don't we start doing state interviews, like just checking in, like what's working, what's not, what do we need to do more of? What do we need to stop doing? You know, it's the end of your first week. What went well? What was a frustrating point for you? And really moving towards more of this continuous listening and ongoing feedback versus waiting till something's in, in a crisis mode. Stay interviews. I love it. Great concept. So it's easier said than done, right? I mean, to think about, well, what do we need to stop doing? So my experience, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is that whether it's on an individual level or organizational level, there's a wide spectrum of level of awareness, right? Some people are really self-aware and they know what's working and what's not in their organization or their team, or they know themselves. And there's other people that literally they're clueless. They really don't know what's going on in their organization, They don't have intentional practices in place to really find out how do we know what we should stop doing or do more of or less of. Like they really don't have that structure in place. On an individual level, their defenses are up. They don't want to look at anything because it's too unsettling. It's too vulnerable. So how do you invite that exploration of looking at what do we need to detox? This is where our clients, the ones who find me, they're feeling pain. So like, for instance, if we go back to sugar detox and we say, okay, sugar causes inflammation, you're feeling pain in your knees, you're feeling pain here, it could be you need to change up your diet. So a lot of times when people come to me, they're aware of the pain that they're feeling and they know that something organizationally is not correct. So they might have what I call symptoms happening where it's workplace gossip or people showing up late for work or people becoming robotic and not giving feedback at team meetings when asked. So we have to look at, well, what symptomatically is happening and then determine what I call the X factor. It's in my detox method, but the X factor, which is, well, what's really causing the symptoms? So there's cause and there's an effect. So when people show up to me, it's like, Julie, I got this pain here and this staff member's doing this and can you just fix them? (laughs) And unfortunately it doesn't work like that, but what we can do is identify the symptoms that are causing that pain and then trace it back one step further to, well, what is the cause? And if you could really put yourself in a place where you are willing to be vulnerable and to to swallow the tough pill, to really look at what the cause is, then you put yourself in an incredibly powerful position to detox your workplace and to have the best talent on board ever. I think that too often people do, they're recognizing the symptom, either, either, yeah, this is wrong, or these are the things that are showing up, or they know that they want to be somewhere different and they're, they're not there yet. And so often how often do individuals and organizations just put a bandaid? They don't go that next step to go, okay, we got to look at the root cause. And to your point, looking at the root cause of what's making these symptoms appear is unsettling. It's uncomfortable. It's 
hugely vulnerable. And a lot of people just, they don't want to go there. When we look at really identifying the symptoms and getting to the root cause, which yes, can be painful, but you have to look at the pain that you're already in and which pain is greater. And this is where I find a lot of people coming in or crawling into us saying, okay, help, help. But there's a lot of pain that you're experiencing right now. And it might be that your business isn't as profitable as it could be. It might be that you are thinking nonstop, lots of negative thoughts about the happenings in your business. That's painful. And that's robbing you of time of you being fully present and aware with your family. Because a lot of times leaders who are in the situation, it's like we're with our family, we're thinking about work, we're talking about work, we're talking about this employee, we probably talked about this employee for 27 and a half hours, and we're still talking about them because we don't know what to do. So that is a place of pain. So you've got to be aware of the pain that you're already in to move through the, the growing pains that you have to get through to get to a dreamier place of where you want your team or your business or your culture to be. So with that, why is it so necessary to lean into that discomfort? And how does taking the approach that you take, how does that help create more human workplaces? It creates more human workplaces because you are allowed to show up as your authentic, genuine self. In the work that we do, we help leaders really bring their uniqueness into their vision, into the story that they're telling. So your business becomes really an expansion of who you are. And when you walk in through those doors, after detoxing, it's like you are so connected with your business on so many levels or with your organization on so many levels that you feel so good on the inside. So it's clearing out what's not working, leaving all the things that aren't working so that we're not piling those band-aids on. And I always use the analogy, if you look at a little kid who's got a band-aid on and you just keep throwing another band-aid over that sore and you're not pulling the other ones off previously, how gross and disgusting do those get? And it becomes really painful to pull it off. But once you pull it off and you really look at the sore that's there and you go, oh, okay, that's pretty sad. But then you start, oh, but here's how we could heal it. We do this. It becomes really a place of joy for you. And this is what a lot of our clients will say is, you know what? I didn't think hiring staff could be so joyful because you start seeing results. And when you start seeing results in the direction that supports your vision, it's fun and it's exciting. And it's kind of like the first day you open your doors for your business or your organization, that first day that you started, or even the job, if, if you're working a job, it's like, man, I felt so good and alive. So when you bring yourself through the detox process, that's what it's like. You feel the initial excitement. You feel that return. You feel like you're falling back in love with the baby that you gave birth to for you business owners. You know, what it reminds me of is when I'm coaching leaders, we go through a process where they identify their self-limiting narrative, right? That keeps them stuck and that they, that they have to let go of. And it's not quick and easy. And it, it's a uncomfortable, painful process at times. But what I consistently observe is just what you were sharing is that when they finally, I call it like Swiss cheese, they're trying to poke holes in the validity of that narrative that's been keeping them stuck. And as the holes get bigger, you start to see the shift happen in their thinking. And as they start to let go of those stories that quite frankly are crap, that are holding them back, they start to just like come alive. You start to see a fundamentally 
different version of that stuff like you talked about. And they get excited about their work again. They get excited about their relationships again. They get excited about life again. And when that happens, kind of like it's the ripple effect, but when that happens on a team and you have multiple people that are experiencing that, the energy just is magnified, right? And when that happens in an organization, when people stop getting in their own way, I, I totally get what you're saying because it's the, this isn't holding me back anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And I love the Swiss cheese analogy because imagine if you poke so many holes in that sucker, there's nothing there. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the other thing that as you were talking, you, know, you talk about, you know, what do we have to stop doing? Recently, I reread because it's been a while, but I reread Dr. Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings. And he uses this analogy about a rose bush. And he talks about a rose bush as this metaphor of removing things in our life that no longer serve us so that we can blossom into our full potential. So you think about like rose bush, right? You have to constantly prune it back because if you don't, it's not going to fully have all the blooms it needs to. And so really thinking about what do we need to prune or, or cut back? And that can be mindset. Like what's the stories I'm telling myself that I need to cut? right? What are the practices? What are the relationships? What are the fill in the blank? Because your point, you can't just say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to add a new year's resolution, or I'm going to start moving towards this vision. Time and energy are finite resources. So something has to give and we have to let go of that stuff that's holding us back. Yes. I love, I love flowers. I love roses. <laughs> and that was one thing I did after my husband passed away is I started surrounding myself with flowers. And one thing I learned about roses is not only the thorns are cutting them back, but the leaves, if they have their leaves on them, the leaves start drying up, it's going to suck the good water out and the roses are going to die a lot quicker. So if you peel back the leaves, if you want, so here's a rose tip. If you want your roses to last longer, a little apple cider vinegar doesn't hurt either. <laughs> but if you take away all the leaves that are on roses, especially as they start to deteriorate, it's going to help the rose last a lot longer. So again, it's peeling back the dried up pieces, the things that are dead that no longer serve you. Then you have a, a beautiful flower that will bloom and blossom. And I know many leaders struggle with, well, Julie, I'm bringing in all of these really fantastic people. I'm selling them on the vision, but then now I have the team that I hired five years ago. So there's this real balancing act between bringing in that new energy and transforming the current energy that you have. And it can be done, but you have to precisely and strategically go about determining who can it be done with because there might be employees that you need to let go of, but detoxing isn't necessarily about firing everybody. It's really about transforming your own communication skills so that you start getting a different result in your people. And you could start doing that pretty quickly once you're tapped into the right strategy. I'm so glad you said that because I do think that there can be this sense of well, twofold. One, it's, oh my gosh, like I don't want to let go anybody because they've been with me for so long. And sometimes it's recognizing, you know, it's the old saying that what got you here won't get you there. And I would say, take it outside of an organization. Sometimes it's friendships or other relationships in our life. As we grow and evolve as human beings, sometimes those relationships don't serve us well anymore. Sometimes they grow with us and they evolve into beautiful things. And on a workplace standpoint, it's very similar. Sometimes, you know what? the person's ability to adapt and navigate change and really help the vision come to life in the current environment. Just it, it's a mismatch. It's a square peg in a round hole. And sometimes it's, you know what, this person is completely there and they're the right fit. So I think it's really using that rose bush uh, metaphor. I did not know about the leaves, but it's like a garden or planting. You have to tend to it constantly. It's not a check the box, watered it once and I'm done. 
And when you're evaluating your current team to say, all right, who can stay, who can, who has to go, that kind of thing. Also, just be very mindful that the objective is not to settle for people who don't work and trying to fit them into that hole. Square peg, round hole doesn't work. And I sometimes use the analogy, we'll go back to sugar, of you're baking a pie and you've got you know a few missing ingredients. Perhaps it's a pecan pie and you're missing the cornstarch and the pecans. How great of a pie is that going to be? Well, it's going to be not a very good one. The same thing is true with your people is that you've really got to look at the, the whole picture of the objectives that you want them to accomplish. And do they have all the ingredients for that pie so they could help you really bring that vision to life? Speaking of that, so as we've been talking about kind of letting go of that judgment and that narrative, you know, my experience is that it is in our human DNA for us to tell ourselves stories that help us feel safe, but are are limiting in a variety of ways. And I don't care how successful someone's been in their life, however you define success, we all get in our own way. And it, you know, I always say to my clients, congratulations on being human when that shows up because it does show up. So I ask every guest this, so Julie, now I, I want you to share what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes and when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life? One of the self-limiting stories that I have struggled with, because I grew up in a household where there were three of us and we were compared. So to me, where my mind will go is comparison, looking at competitors, what she's doing, what she's doing. And I really have to pull myself back to a place of, you know what? You are unique. You were given your vision and your mission for a reason, and all that you can do is show up and serve. And that's what I keep in mind, but you can't change the programming that's in your head. You can get yourself to be aware of it and then quickly alter it to be like, oh, well, wait a second, I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to dwell on something else because that programming is so strongly inside of you. And that's why so many people struggle with what's going on inside of their head. And we could throw affirmations and all that kind of things over it. But unless you purposefully go, oh, okay, there's that thought again. And then you say, that's interesting, but I know that that came from my upbringing or that came from over here. I am really just as good as anybody else doing this. And matter of fact, it might be better. (laughs) And you start feeding yourself messages about your uniqueness, your purpose, and what you're here to do. And for me, it's coming from a place of I'm showing up and I'm serving. And again, it goes back to what we started out with knowing your purpose and knowing your why. And when that comparison voice shows up, as you were saying, you know, it all stems from childhood. So I like to go, okay, do I want my 10-year-old self driving my car right now? Or do I want my 10-year-old self making my decisions? Or do I want the adult version of me? I agree. And I think that's a great analogy and a great strategy too, is to think like, who do I want to show up right now in this moment? And for me, it's coming to a place of, I want my higher self. I want the the grown woman, but also just the person who knows that she is here to speak, to write, because we want to make an impact. There's enough room for everybody's gifts and talents. I have gifts. I have talents that I I can serve the world in my unique way. And just because another person over here does it in a slightly different way, that's that person's contribution to serve. And when we recognize there's room for all, that's that's huge. Yeah. And what's really interesting, I do a lot of work uh, in the childcare industry who really struggles with staff motivation, having the right staff in place. 
because of pay and they've got a lot of other disadvantages, things that will work against them. But one of the things that I say, especially when I'm thinking about people who are doing similar things is, you know, we're here co-creating, whether we're friends or not friends, whether we know each other or don't know each other, it doesn't matter. But we're here really co-creating this thing that is going to make a difference, that's going to make an impact. So I really think about us as joining hands, as corny as it might sound, we join hands and we're co-creating this bigger thing for the people that we're serving. So... This brings me to our quick questions section, if you're game for it. I'm game. All right. All right. I love it. I'm scared, but I'm game. (laughs) Ah, Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Okay. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Being real. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Jump. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? Gosh, would they be surprised to know that I grew up with a a father who was a beekeeper part-time and he brought a hive of bees into our basement as a child? They might be surprised about that. (laughs) How many times did you get stung? (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And it was the time when all the 70s, uh, the the bee movies were on. I think it was maybe late 70s and there were the killer bee movies. So I got stung a lot. I got stung a lot. But his vision was, you know, getting that good honey in and how it does so much for you. So that was always his vision. I just became afraid of the bees and wanted to put on a snowmobile suit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's so fantastic. (laughs) What's your favorite go-to movie? Grease or Back to the Future. I kind of have a tie these days. (laughs) What's your go-to song? Leonard Skinner, Give Me Three Steps. Don't know why I grew up dancing. So it's just the beat of of the, the music that just really makes me feel that energy, makes me feel alive. What's something you can't live without? Pizza and apples. If somebody said you have to, I once did a a really strict keto plan. He's like, you can't have apples. I'm like, I have to have an apple. So I love my apples. (laughs) I love my pizza. (laughs) What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? My gratitude journal, where I write down all the different things that I'm thankful for. And the list seems to be never ending. So with that, what are you grateful for right now? Oh my goodness. I'm grateful that I saw a glimpse of the sunshine today. And not too long ago, I moved to a lakefront home. So when I look out my office doors right behind me, there's a whole view of the lake. And every night I get to see a sunset come down over the water. Granted, the sun's out. (laughs) So that's that's a huge thing I'm grateful for. I, I could go on though for a long time about things I'm grateful for. There's a lot. I love to wrap up with with my closing question. So Julie, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone, regardless of their title or role, to show up as a leader, what would that be? There's a couple of things, but since we talked a lot about vision, I'll reemphasize that and that it is really important to have a vision in place that you are emotionally connected to. Because if you don't emotionally connect to your vision, meaning you feel the warm and fuzzies, you want to do a happy dance, it makes you tear up because you're so excited about it, nobody else is going to be able to connect to it either. And it's going to be really hard. Business is going to feel hard. Attracting staff is going to feel hard. But you'll make it so much easier for yourself when you connect and fall in love with a vision that is uniquely yours. 
So if you don't have a vision, that should be your New Year's resolution, right? <laughs> yes, have a vision. And it doesn't have to be written in concrete. That's why a lot of leaders, they step back. They're like, well, wait a second. I don't know precisely what it is. It's not perfect. It doesn't need to be. It just needs to be the next best thing. And then you could massage it and work on it and figure out something that really, really warms your heart. And then what you have to detox or let go of. To bring that vision to life, right? Detox is an important part of it. And knowing what to let go gives you a lot of power because once you realize what's working or what's not working and you're able to let those things go, that flower, like you talked about in your analogy, is just going to bloom and you're going to be blown away by the results that you and your organization start achieving. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and of course, hit that follow button.